We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, everybody? Before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle is a brand new program here at Blue Wire where you can host your very own podcast. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take their podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As a part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discords, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll get your stuff all pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, all those good places. The listening platform is all out there. And you can get all of this for $15 a month, the same rate any other hosting site will charge you um, just for initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. Hey, yeah. I feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. And on a Friday afternoon, two games into Chris Finch's tenure as the head coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves, Britt Robson of The Athletic is my guest. Uh, Britt, you wrote in great detail yesterday about uh, Gerson Rosa's decision to hire Finch and specifically how that relates to the culture of of this team. And, you know, knowing you and, and knowing your writing a bit, I know that you tend to aim at the most relevant topic in you know through your purview and it's an interesting it's an interesting angle to choose so I guess I'm going to start here and then we can just roll from there what what made you choose the contradiction of culture that you're kind of feeling right now is the most relevant angle with this Wolves team well I mean the 
the idiot take or the take that everybody knows, everybody knows is that um, he's burned all his bridges and he needed to pick a guy that uh, he trusts above all else because he's not going to get another shot if this doesn't work. Um, what I wanted to step back and do, I've always been skeptical of people trying to sell me culture, people trying to say, here's what we're going to do. This is what's going to happen. Uh, and the fact that the culture was so toxic after Tom Thibodeau left, you know, I mean, for all kinds of reasons, for the idea that uh, Tibbs has his own really weird peccadilloes, the fact that Jimmy Butler essentially needed to act out to get traded, um, just some unprecedented things where uh, the team finally makes the playoffs at, for the first time in 14 years, and the main cog in that playoff run basically says, "There is this is the last place I want to be. Get me the hell out of here, especially with these two guys that until up until that time the Timberwolves have been banking on for their entire rebuild anyway. And the head coach and head of personnel, the guy who runs the whole thing, rather than saying, well, I, I love you, Jimmy, but you're, you're screwed up on this one and you're, you're, you're killing me. I'm going to get the best I can for you. He's going, please stay. You know, what can we do? Yeah, double here? Let's, down. Let's, right. work, let's work something out. I mean, so clearly, I mean, what are Townsend Wiggins supposed to think about this? You know, what's Taj Gibson supposed to think about this? I mean, you know, it's just the whole thing turned out to be a shit show. And, you know, one that everybody just basically, you know, leaned back. Jimmy Butler's waving a white handkerchief on the, in sitting in the, you know, on the bench. Uh, the guy had a great plus minus uh, with everybody his first year on the team in his brief tenure in his second year on the team. Go back and look at him and Cat's minutes together. They're two-person lineup minutes. I mean, like minus double digits, the two most talented players on the team. Very obviously were not getting along and not in sync. I mean, the whole thing was just, it was ruinous from the beginning. And Tibbs had his, you know, Tibbs too short to be an ostrich, but basically had his head in the sands, head in the, the sand down low, and uh, the whole thing turned out to be just ridiculous and so toxic. And when it, we haven't even gotten into the fact that Tibbs was basically giving the middle finger to, you know, everybody in management, anybody that wasn't part of his inner circle and, and treating everybody like, don't get in my way, you know, all this stuff. So it just sets up an, Sets Perfect up the situation for anybody to come in and be the new president of and basketball also, operations. Also, we have to remember under the what under what circumstances was Tib hired? This was the guy that was going to be the independent guy, the guy who would be freeing the franchise from country club pretensions and all this other stuff, and he was going to be the one to lead the way out of this thing. Well, you know that any kind of conversation between Glenn Taylor and Tom Thibodeau had to revolve early around, all right, 
I know you're highly in demand. I'm going to make you Pobo, president of basketball operations, as well as head coach. We've got two number one overall picks that are really, really talented. Everybody around the league thinks they're two of the brightest young stars on any franchise. They seem to be doing very well on offense. They do not know how to play defense. You are an acknowledged defensive guru. I need to hire you so you can fulfill that part of their, their game, make them more mature, and get this team off the ground. And by the way, Levine was there too at the time, so you could make the same argument for him. Obviously, within two years, he the priority was not the two young over you know, number one overall picks. The priority was a trio of people from his days of the Chicago Bulls. Uh, and and what he would argue, and I mean what is actually probably fair is he prioritized players who were contributing to winning because what did play out was that, you know, whether it's Jimmy or Taj or even Teague that first year, you know, those were guys that were contributing to winning and, you know, I'm not trying to do like the stand up for Tibbs thing, right. but, but I think what that illustrates to me in hindsight is a lack of patience. Who made the all-star team that year? Cat and Jimmy. Right. Right. I, I mean, you know, no, and I'm not saying Cap didn't contribute no, to winning. But, but my point is, if you're going to develop people, then what you want when you get somebody who's coming in, everybody, I was, I couldn't believe they got Jimmy Butler on the terms they got Jimmy Butler. I was ecstatic. I actually, it was probably the most confident I've been of a Timberwolves franchise. Right. In, in since the days of KG and Marbury, you know, uh, and so, Justin Patton too, yeah, right. which Don't actually was a, no, no, that was legit. Like an it, you were like, Oh, and they get the 16th pick as well. You were like, Whoa, extra. But okay. How does this relate to Gerson Rosas? Because this is what the Timberwolves franchise was like when they began interviewing candidates and you know, the vow among Taylor and almost everybody within the organization. I mean, Jim Peterson hated Tom Thibodeau to the point of basically risking his job, calling him out everywhere. Um, Ethan, that was a two-way street. Ethan, but yeah. Ethan Casson, no doubt hated Tom Thibodeau. I mean, everybody hated Tom Thibodeau because Tom Thibodeau showed signs of hating them. You know, it was a really toxic culture. So, <laughs> what happens? You need to find somebody who is not like that. We do not want to go through that again. We need to find somebody who, A, is not a country club guy, and B, is not Tom Thibodeau. They open up the interview process to all these other people within the organization at different levels, including guys like Ethan Casson and Jim Peterson, uh, so that they have a broader base within the organization. And Gerson comes in and crushes it. I mean, it was so clear that he crushed it in that opening introductory press conference. People could not be falling over themselves more within the Timberwolves organization to say that our, our hands was, raised as well. Right. Me and you too. Well, I mean, uh, what I was impressed with is that he had an analytical bent. He, no, that's what I'm saying. Right, right. We weren't, we weren't, 
we weren't impressed by the fact that he said alignment 74 times. We were impressed by his pedigree and, I was and, also, and what we thought that would entail. I was also not impressed with the idea that he and Glenn Taylor basically described for 15 minutes this kumbaya session that they had in Taylor's home and how their wives got together. We ate this and the kids were there and Rosas has <laughs> the kids on each knee. And um, all of this was a family vibe. And this whole idea that we are going to be a family, we're going to be kind to each other. Not only are we going to push the envelope in terms of analytics and in terms of health and safety and in terms of salary cap management, but we're going to be a brave new organization that treats its players with class and care, so on and so and forth. Britt, but the the thing is, is and you know, and you can find that gross or whatever the the word is to describe that. But I think an important part of this whole story is the fact that he had to do that. Gerson had to do that approach. He did not have Gerson, to do with that, that. He did not have to. He he could have gone 25. Let's say the speed limit is 40. If he My did. broader point is that he had to be a politician. He, he has approached this job as a politician. And I think we cannot like how that feels and comes off and kumbaya and all those sort of things because I echo all of that. But at the same time, to get the job, to get the job, there was an element of him needing to be a politician, not necessarily to the fan base, but to convince the Glenn and the people here that he was going to do okay. the job. And my response is that the best politicians do not act like politicians. I, a hundred percent. I'm with you. He acted like a politician, and there are granted. You are absolutely correct in the fact that I was excited over the guy because of some of the things he said about boldness. And I knew some of his history with Houston. And I saw some of the late, you know, soon after some of the people he was bringing in, I got excited. And if you just talked to anybody, right, like right, you talked to anybody right. about the league, he was got but real good reviews. That whole thing I'm talking about 15 minutes of, you know, if he got along great with the owner, fine. We did not need to hear how well he and the owner liked each other. Um, I mean, these are the kinds of things I'm talking about. That's no, I'm just saying this is interesting because it is whatever happened there then, right. that vibe right. has has permeated and extended every twist and turn along the way where there's been a change or there's been something else to sell. He's had to I don't know if he's had to, he has remained a politician right. in in the way that he frames his message, which is I mean, you're the political expert here and real politics but between us, but that is that is just as part, as much a part of getting elected or reelected or keeping your what, what what what's the word I'm looking for here? Your your positivity score, your right. Q, Q rating or whatever, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. You know, and so he's he's approached that at every turn, and there's an element of that that over time it it adds up into this pile where people start to kind of sense that it's faux to, to some degree. Well, and I think, go ahead. What I would say is it's the equivalent of a door to door salesman. Your first political gambits get your foot in the door and then your body in the door, but then you have a product to sell. 
and a way of selling that product. And maybe your product ultimately isn't very good, in which case you have to sell it in a really interesting way to sustain that further. But sure. sooner or later, unless you're really, really good at selling the product, you're going to have to show the consumer what the product can do. Mm -hmm. And once you show the consumer what the product can do, if the product sucks, it doesn't matter how good of a politician you've been, you won't make the sale. And I think that is kind of what happened here. Roses was very, very good at getting in the door and getting there and selling the message that he had something he was going to have and he was going to have this product and some of the elements of the product look attractive and are attractive. But how much we're talking, the, the, this product is a sustainable winning model for a franchise. That's the product he's selling and has been from day one. Also saying that we are going to question the norm in whatever we do, and we're going to be very bold about it. All of that is really good messaging, I think. What isn't good messaging is to say all these things, to, to go to the Bahamas, not a bad idea because Cat had been treated like shit for a while by this franchise, and Roko was his good friend, and the two of them, from what I understand, are two of the main drivers behind this trip. And Wiggins was actually, you know, as on board as Wiggins ever is about anything. And, you know, I went back and looked at that video before I wrote the column because I remembered it. And I remember seeing it and going, oh, boy, you know, <laughs> if this team doesn't do well, this is going to age really badly. And so, uh, lo and behold, you know, I mean, everybody kind of thought that. They saw this thing where, you know, Cancun and there's – the first messages on the thing are these quotes from Gerson Rosas, like you have, like, you know, like it's an episode of uh, Criminal Minds or something. And you have this epigrammic opening and closing of what happens, you know. Hey, those track the pack things are cool, though. Those, those videos track are the cool. Pack. That's exactly what it was. Track the pack. <laughs> yeah, they're cool. cool. You know why they're cool? Because they are relentlessly... They, they shoot a ton of footage. They yeah. edit the hell out of them. And they make something in-depth. And they sell a story. Mm -hmm. And the story right. this time was Gerson Rosas and the new regime is creating a vibe that is so warm and so fulfilling. Yeah, that's not cool. <laughs> that people are going to play out of their minds for this. Can, and we're okay, all so... going to get along. And Kat bought into it to the point where I'm just basically chronicling what I wrote in the column for, for the most part. Cat basically heard the pushback about this is like, come on, you know, fine, but you're eventually going to have to go out the court. You know, the worst thing that happened in the NBA probably was this Ibutu thing that happened. You know, it was all about brotherhood. It had nothing to do with the fact that Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce were on the <laughs> You know, and so you have this situation where people are pushing back a little bit about this Cancun trip. And Cat goes out. Bahamas. You keep saying Bahamas. Cancun. Bahamas. <laughs> I got Ted Cruz on my mind. <laughs> so Freedom. Speaking of politics. But um, so anyway, Cat, you I mean, Cat had a phenomenal game, the first game of Rosas. Uh, no, he said this to me. 
let me tell this part of the story. Okay, so, so so we're in Brooklyn, and uh, it was the it was the season opener, and and the Wolves beat the net. Kyrie dropped fifty, and the Wolves you know beat the that Nets. Was it was the a hell Kobe, of a game. Uh, Pokes yeah, or yeah, right. it was. It, it it was awesome. And um, Cat had thirty six. Cat had thirty six. I didn't ask the question. I think me and John, me and John were there. And John asked some question, and for some reason, you know, about John's like you, you won the game, you know, some, something positively framed because they won the game. Right. And Cat turns, and I'm on the other side of the thing, and he goes, "And you all thought the Bahamas was bullshit." Looking at me, and I'm like, "What are you looking at me for about all this?" Like, I don't. You think John didn't think it was bullshit, or so? I, it was, uh, you know. But in that moment, right. I was like. Right. You know, and, and that, that's the thing. In that moment, it's like, man, you know, power to you. You beat the Nets. They went on to win the next two games. They they won in Charlotte the next night, and whatever the third game was, yeah. they're they're three and zero. Oh, I remember that's what I start. So it was two and zero oh starts. Man. Hot, yeah, hot. Man. No, but it was. Uh, we all still thought the Bahamas was bullshit, even even well, though I he mean, said we, that. We, but we, but we, they, we, he had at least some ground to stand on. What I always thought, just to be clear, is that. The Bahamas was worth a dime's bit of goodness. There's nothing wrong with having a dime added to goodness. But don't sell it like a $5 bill. Don't basically say, this is $5 worth of goodness we're doing right here. You know, this will make right. all the difference. You know, it doesn't. Talent and execution are what is necessary. And yes, if you have somebody like Tom Thibodeau, saying, well, what what he did in college, without even mentioning the person's name, but everybody knows he's talking about Cat at Kentucky, because Cat occasionally would say something about what he did at Kentucky. And so Tibbs would go, well, I don't care what they did in college. Now we're, you know, if you have that kind of fairly relentless corrosion of your things going on, then yes, you have a great desire to say positivity will make the difference. This is what's good, so on and so forth. And that is kind of what the whole Rosas regime's first stage of their rocket into space was. We are not corrosive Tom Thibodeau, you know? And so, and, go ahead. Though, though here, here's part of it, though. And, and this is me doing the put on the Rosas cap. Thing. Okay, sure. And my belief and understanding that I think has played out with some hindsight was that they knew they were going to be really bad for two years. I, I think, I mean, I think we can, we can go through and run through the design and it had, it had, I would argue intentional spaces in the core, in the code that would lead to failure. You know, and we've, we've parsed all of these sort of things from your roster construction to, you know, to, to just to the way that they've done it. It's not that they wanted to be bad. They were just, they set up some things in ways to, to be bad while also growing. I think that has been the on a really basic scale. The first two years, I think the goal was to grow in a style and in a culture in a way that had the team feeling good, looking like it was going in the right direction while also losing a bunch in the first two years so as to take that time to 
Get off of Andrew Wiggins. Get off of Jeff T. Get off of Gorky Jane. Let Taj Gibson's contract expire. And and pick up a really high pick in in at least the first year's draft. Obviously, now we can things right. played out where where right. they they couldn't really you know tanking for a pick in the second year makes a, a lot less sense. But and I don't know. Maybe I, some people probably disagree with me on this, but I think that there was a premeditated intent to be bad the first two years of this whole thing. And I've said this to you all along. My whole thing that I've expected was that they pushed the chips into the middle for the 2021 summer. And that's, and that's what, where they're trying to be good. Now what's played out along those two years is you can have the best laid plans, the best laid process, but you know, it hasn't worked out as, as well as they, as they thought it would. There's been more pushback. There's been more mess along okay, the way. So why wasn't there more transparency in terms of what you're saying? That And that is that is the thing that I think makes the least sense. They opted to use politics and, and to present a shiny veil over this more so than to be transparent. And I think that was a, a tactic by Rosas and the front office and the organization as a whole that I, in my opinion, was misguided. And I think maybe that actually would have worked in a normal fan base, a normal organization. But I think something that is overlooked in this fan base is the fact that if the fan base is 1,000 people, I think over 500 of those people are diehard fans yes. in the Timberwolves, just to, just to call it a, sam- you know, right. a sample size. The majority are the fans are diehards who are able to pick through a lot more of this stuff more and to, you know, to smell the rotten fish in the bucket, right? And and I think that's different than other fan bases. I think that's probably different than Houston, where maybe it's 250 of the 1,000 are, you know, are diehards. And, and, you know, because of that, you can kind of sell something else. And the 25 are going to be like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? But they're like, well, whatever. We're cool. We still got 75% of the people, the people who are buying the tickets, the people who are watching the games, you know, we've got them all taken care of. And I think that that has been a miscalculation on their part is, is the idea that people know that there's been a lack of transparency in the plan and they don't like the idea of having felt sold something and along the way. There are some blind spots in the rollout. You, sure. you can't say we're going to do something that's never been done without stepping back for a second and saying, wait a minute, these people have never had this. What is going to be their attitude? It isn't going to be that they're thirsty and they want water. It's going to be that they've been supposedly going to get water from five other people who left them thirsty. So don't offer water. Offer, we're looking for the well, and when we get it, everybody will drink. And so that's the point I'm trying to make is that if if what you say is true, and I think that this is nuanced enough where what you're saying and what I'm saying can both be relatively true, Rosas promising a sustainable winning model at some point in time and, and saying it with certainty 
is part of the sales pitch, but also part of the story he's telling himself. The thing about a culture is, in order to sell the culture best, you have to believe most of what you're saying. And that's mm -hmm. where I say some of this happens. I think that it was always mystifying, uh, but at the same time, you're, you, you're trying to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. When they started to have Trevion Graham and Shabazz Napier shooting four or five threes a game, you know, along with Andrew Wiggins, they had five guys who never made a third of their shots shooting like two-thirds of their threes for intentional, intentional flaws in the code. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, but all the while saying, you know, we're, de we're developing a system, we're learning a system, rather than saying, you know, look, this is the kind of way we want to play, and there'll be some people who, who you know, we're trying to find people right. who can play that way. The second thing is, why, why do you have a holy grail quest for D'Angelo Russell if, in fact, you have a, a template and a blueprint that involves three-point shooting and five-out ball movement and everything else, and fast pace, by the way? I mean, again, um, this all indicates that the plan, the culture – whatever you want to call it, inevitably involves um, self-deception and projected deception as to what is really happening and what will happen. And if the decisions that you make are not good decisions initially, it becomes more and more difficult not to crap all over your culture to suddenly be the person who, who, is, who is doing things, you know, the guy who supposedly is Mr. Family is suddenly now, you know, maneuvering to get a coach from another team onto his team and taking the associate head coach and basically saying, he's part of a, a bad, you know, we're have the worst team in the NBA. You know, anybody who associated with the worst team in the NBA is a coach. We they're not going to help us move forward. The architect, meanwhile, he's going to be fine with this because, you know, I mean, it's all these coaches that have sabotaged me. I mean, is that what we're supposed to think here? Um, you wrote in your opening paragraph, a coaching change, especially one executed in the middle of the season is a loud admission of failure and consequent vow to change the behavior. Right. Do you believe that? Yes. Do you believe that Gerson Rosas views this as a loud admission of failure of what has transpired thus far? I don't think he is uh, easily capable of admitting any failure. Um, I think that that is one of the reasons why uh, he tried to make this, you know, it's lipstick on a pig. You have the worst. He could say we have the worst record in the NBA. One of the few times he said that is in order to throw his assistant coaches under the bus after firing his head coach. Um, that was a loud admission of failure. It wasn't, I've got to do better. He did say I've got to do better in terms of changing the roster. He did, yeah. We'll see about that in a month. But 
the greater point here is um, you said this thing is a family. You said this thing is a good vibe. You said that everybody gets along. And meanwhile, um, there's friction going on and there's uh, incompetence going on. And your culture, what you say is, is the template by which you operate is not the template by which you are operating at the moment at the a crucial time. And I get it. I did not say that, why is he doing this? I knew why he was doing it because he has to respond to a dire situation in relatively decisive quick order. He had the scapegoat in his pocket in Ryan and he finally took it out and used it. But the I thought, and one of the key points, and this is where this whole column, the hinge on this column uh, was dicey and I, I apparently didn't do a very good job of it. Um, my whole deal was you have a guy you groomed as an associate head coach and you're bringing in somebody under extraordinary circumstances. Hasn't happened in the NBA in over a decade that you get a coach off the staff of another team and bring them in. And I bet you money that in 2009, when that happened, they did not have an associate head coach already on the roster. That had to be explained. And what Rosas could have said was, we have a team that is an offensive-oriented team, and it is 28th in the NBA in offense right now. Chris Finch is one of the best offensive minds I know. I think he is the guy to turn this around. That would have been a perfectly fine explanation. And it would not have thrown David Vanterpool and Pablo Prigioni under the bus necessarily. Specifically, well, would have thrown Prigioni. 28th rate defense, but all he's saying is this guy is. But it isn't like, um, why include Vanterpool in this? You know, I mean, as I laid out in some detail. Well, it's because he's, I mean, you know why. It's because he's trying to fight back on the narrative that's spiraled out of control that is incriminating on him for having passed over Vanterpool, given all the pushback from Lillard and from national media and all that. Right, I mean, that's right. why he did it. All right. But doesn't make it right. I'm just saying that's why he did it. But in addition, it also goes against his own culture. It also goes against this whole vibe that he was saying. For sure. And that's why if he had just said Chris Finch is the best guy to deal with this, it did it it made it th things worse for Dame Lillard and it made things worse for me and we're coming at this from two different circumstances to say He's part of the worst record in basketball. Of course, I'm not going to hire him is pretty much what he said. That's, you know, the, the shorter version of, of what, you know, and, I, I, I put the whole quote of the column, but essentially what it was, was he said uh, their part, we, we have the worst record in basketball and that's reflected on both sides of the ball. I think that's pretty much what he said. Well, right. And, and I think, the, the loud admission of failure part is what sticks out to me because I think there's two tenets to this failure, okay. right? Yes. 
the one is the failure of culture. Right. And and I think that is undeniable for what we have just talked about for the last 30 minutes. That tactic has not worked. Right. That has, has been a failure. And it was almost and I think, destined not to work, but go ahead. Uh, I agreed, agreed. Okay. But I think, I think the other part that, and the reason why I don't think Rosas would agree that this is a failure is that this was the plan all along. Chris Finch was the plan all along. I mean, can we just, I, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, can't we just call it like a spade a spade? There was, there was such a small chance that within 24 months of the hiring of Ryan Saunders, that Chris Finch would not at some point become the head coach of the Timberwolves. That was, that was, that was their plan. <laughs> so I, now, now, now that might be a weird plan and, you know, trying to stay away from the word shady. Um, but I think that was just the plan the whole time was to bring in Chris Finch to be the head coach. Ryan Saunders was going to take them through this first year or probably two years. That was the length of Ryan's contract was two years, was going to take them through this window where they were going to be able to do the two things that Gerson wanted to do change the style of play and lose a lot. Well, he and, accomplished one of those. He did not change the style of play. The ch- No, that's not true. The style of play 100% changed from 2018-19 to 2019-20. Ryan started going, getting away from that this year. But last season, last season, the Timberwolves played if we want to talk about things like shot selection, like pace, like all those sort of things, they played it poorly, terrible execution. What does, but Chris, they, what does Chris Finch want to do with Carl Anthony Towns? Use him at the top of the key. And? Run the offense through him. Low block. A lot of post-ups. It's I asked Chris about that specifically, and, and he said he liked him at the top. I mean, it's it's not like Ryan didn't do that either. I I would be really curious to see how many post-ups Cat has run in the last two games. Um, I don't think – I think that there will be a lot of post-ups for Cat because I think he likes the idea of dishing for three-pointers out of the low block, the magnetization, and all that other stuff. And, I, and you're saying that didn't happen last year? No, Are you they, kidding they, me? They, think they, about all – every missed – Josh Akogi or Jarrett Culver or Trevion Graham three. What did that look like? Mm-hmm. That looked like Cat on the block getting doubled and skipping it to a guy who can't make it. I remember more often than running a five out. I well, okay. I'm not saying it's going to be the exact same right. thing, but I I think that this is stylistically okay. going to be more similar to last year. That's fine. Anyways, go I'm going to concede the point because it isn't really the one I was after anyway. Okay. Um. Which is that if, in fact, everything you say is true, the cynicism is breathtaking. (laughs) I mean, it is, I am going to sell these fucking rubes a feel-good narrative while we tank like crazy, and then I'm going to go get my guy and we're going to run this thing the right way. That's my opinion. Okay, but if that's true, consider... I, and I'm not saying that that's good. I'm saying to me, I know, that is what clearly I'm... what has happened. Okay. 
I will, the reason I won't go that far is I don't think that Rosas can be that cynical. I actually think that he believed he could split the difference, that he could move things along. And also, if it happened, you know, he knew eventually where we agree is that Ryan was always a designated scapegoat. That's something I, I've known from the day he was hired. Um, and I, you know, that's in the column, you know, quite thoroughly. Um, I think he did not feel like he was going to have to make a midseason move and pluck his guy. I'm not saying necessarily midseason. Right. I think I think initially the plan was after this season, okay. and, and but should hit the fan more. How? If Gerson Rosas is as smart as I believe him to be, then why in the world does he say? Um, the David Vanterpool's defensive team disqualifies him from being considered a head coach of this team. That is incendiary. That is, you know, and let's be clear about this because Dame and CJ McCollum and a lot of other Vanterpool supporters can add in the factor of race and race is always an elephant in the room and always something that is going to be a part of any discussion about anything in the United States of America, probably. But as it should be. Yeah. Except when you're trying to make a point about culture and you know that if you put race into the middle of it, your point about culture is going to get wiped out. I mean, I literally said in the column, Nobody wants to hear an old white guy parse the racial delicacies between the first Latino executive and a respected African-American assistant coach. I did not want race to be a part of any of this narrative that I was putting forth, which is that the bad decisions made by Rosas, plus the cynicism of pushing a PR narrative to get his foot in the door with people, boomeranged on him to the point where he had to say things that were anathema to his culture argument in order to extricate himself. And that if you look at what Vanterpool has accomplished, he did Vanterpool a disservice. I, that's, I think that's undeniable. Well, I, I mean, that's... but I think it... Um, that part of the narrative, most of the, uh, a lot of the pushback I got from this column was, uh, why are you calling Gerson Rosas a racist? Doesn't he have the right to name his own guy when his job is on the line? You know, you politically correct armchair pundit, you know? Um, despite me saying all this stuff, and, and again, I, I gotta take some of the blame because my readership in the comments section is usually a really cool place to be. And yesterday it was, you know, a festering wound of, you know, I mean, I was getting gutted and gutting people all over the place. It was bloodshed all over the, all over the page. So yeah, I guess it probably, it probably just depends on what, what preconceived notions do you go into 
right. reading that column with. Yeah. Because I, I guess just for, for me, from my perspective, it became, it was very clear to me that that wasn't the topic that you were, you know, trying to I was running whatsoever. away from it because I mean, it's, right. saying, it's like if you're having a conversation about who wants to be the city council person and abortion comes up, <laughs> you know, there may be an yeah, opinion right. by that city council person about abortion, but that's not what the conversation is about when you're talking about somebody's city council duties. You know, whether or not David Vanterpool was black or white, he did not deserve to be treated like he was the architect of the worst team in the NBA. He is one of the few bright spots of what has been happening with the Wolves coaching staff and front office, in my view, and and I think you know this. I kind of I kind of disagree with that, um, and not that you know, not completely. I, I I think I haven't been wowed by David Vanterpool just at, at, from a coaching standpoint uh, to the degree that I think he is obviously a better choice than Chris Finch. That I'm. Not, well, again, I'm not, I, not I, there. I never said, he or not even obviously. I shouldn't have said, even said obviously, just at all. I, I don't. That hasn't. That hasn't been. But just that from, isn't from where my point. I sit. My point isn't that. Again, my point has never been that we want to compare Finch and Vanterpool and line them up. Sure. My point has always been, you can hire Chris Finch and say nice things about David Vanterpool at the same time. There's nothing, in fact, your culture, the thing that you've been braying about for the last two years, mandates that you praise Vanterpool while you're hiring Finch. And let the cynics crow about it if they want, but that's a hell of a lot better than throwing the guy under the bus. And and I think it's, and Britt, I think it's because this all spun out of control. And I think he had, I think Gerson had, I think he had probably had a sense that they was going to get some blowback for this, but I don't think in his wildest imagination thought it was going to be as harsh as it ended up being because I mean, for Gerson Rosas, the, the first Latino GM who has, despite all the other stuff has has certainly prioritized diversity in his process yes for 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 him to be labeled as somebody who is in the old boys club and does not care about diversity means something has to have been taken has to have gone so wrong in the messaging and in the way that this was handled from a public relations standpoint it and it just it just has you know that's it's it's kind of crazy to, to acknowledge both of those things as truths is Gerson is somebody who cares about diversity as much as anyone I know, yet simultaneously there is a very, very strong narrative out there from people of prominent stature, whether they be media or players, who think that is far from the case. That's just a mistake in messaging. And I think... If he had just been more transparent about what he yep. was doing, it would have been better. And, and that's I, been my that's been my, my my point all along with all this whole stuff. I think I think this is the first time it's really bit him. You know, there's been a lot of stuff that I personally think transparency would have been 
beneficial and it's kind of the like whatever it's the russian roulette whatever analogy you want to choose there and this one this one just really blew up we got to take a break though okay let's let's take a quick ad break and we'll come back Hey, hey, this is an ad for me. I have a Patreon. And if you feel like you're getting $5 a month of value out of this pod, uh, feel free to subscribe. It's, it's how I fund the show in addition to the actual ads. And it's what makes me be able to do this podcast on a pretty much daily basis. So in ways, it's just funding for me. But I have added some perks over the course of the season. Uh, Patreon subscribers have access to the video version of these podcasts with Brit. So if you'd like to watch us talk about this stuff, uh, that's your route, and it's only available to subscribers. There's also an email address that all Patreon subscribers can email me at um, once they subscribe. So I read those emails every day, and I use them to shape what I'm going to talk about on the pod over the course of the week. So if you'd like to reach out, that's the best way to get me. But even if you don't want a video or you don't want to email me, subscriptions still help me be able to do this. So if you would like to subscribe, please do so at patreon.com slash MBA. It's five bucks a month, patreon.com slash Dane Moore NBA. What's up, everybody? We have something to tell you about here at Blue Wire, and that is that we love sports betting. And whether you've been betting for a while or you're thinking about getting started, we want to let you know uh, great resources for sports bettors, and that's the Action Network. The Action Network is where sports fans go to bet smarter and experience real financial gains. In fact, their Action Network app was recently named the best app in sports betting. And with an Action Network Pro subscription, you can unlock the very best of the app. When you sign up for an Action Pro, Action Network Pro subscription, you can access the Pro Report, which includes expert projections for every game. You can see money and bet percentages on every game. You can see the teams professional gamblers are betting on. You can take advantage of Pro Systems, which match winning historical betting trends with the latest games and lines. You can track every bet you make and get alerts in real time. So if you're looking to bet smarter, an Action Network Pro subscription is the way to get started. And for a limited time, our listeners can receive 50% off an annual Pro subscription. Just go to actionnetwork.com and receive 50% off an annual subscription when you use the code MORE50, M-O-O-R-E-5-0. This offer won't last, so go to actionnetwork.com to sign up for a Pro subscription and use promo code MORE50 to receive 50% off and start betting smarter today. From a defensive side of the ball, because I think this can kind of move us into, you know, the the next stage, which is a little bit yeah, less I, revisionist I, right, history. Right, true. Um, the defense has has not been good over these two years. Right. And and in ways that's an indictment on the surface of David Vantable, who is the architect of the defense, is the defensive coordinator. He acknowledges that much. The organization acknowledges that much. At the same time, the defensive personnel that he has been handed last year and now this year is tremendously bad. Whereas I don't know, whatever, choose the best defensive coach in the league. I don't know what you could, what you could have expected from the defense last year. They finished 20th. They finished 20th last year in defense. And now they're kind of going through a little mini resurgence defensively this year as well. And and I think this is like even beyond the whole the hiring of, you know, Finch. It's the the elephant in the room here is the defense stuff still needs to be figured out 
whether that be through coaching or through the play, what like this is not sustainable. You, you, they will never be good with this type of neglect paid to having defensive talent on the roster, right? Well, <laughs> that is one way to frame it. Another way to frame it is it sure as hell isn't going to be sustainable if you think you're putting together a top five offense and it's 28th. I mean, that to me, if you're looking for uh, what I said in the column, and I think it holds up well, Rosas came in saying, we're going to compete by being a top 10 defense and a top 10 offense. Mm -hmm. And then he made some moves that were so obviously tilted toward the offensive end. D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, Wancho Hernan Gomez, I mean, those are probably the three bounties from that draft uh, trading day bonanza. All, all while getting rid of Robert Covington, Gorgie Jang. Exactly. James Johnson down the line. Yeah. And then drafting Anthony Edwards, which is fine again, but what is Anthony Edwards? I mean, you know what, you know, I, I was – I was in favor of making reaches for solid defensive guys, for God's sake, you know. Um, the point being that this roster, which nobody can claim isn't beholden to Gerson Rosas, there are two players left of the 15-man roster that he didn't have. You can't name a two-way player on this roster right now. And the the guys who were defensive guys are so ridiculously bad on offense that they are unplayable. Okay. They are. So here we go. What I am talking about now is this is the circumstance. As I pointed out in the piece, the person who has logged the most minutes at center for the Timberwolves thus far this year is a 21-year-old undrafted guy who spent half of last season in the G League is in his second season. The guy who has played the most at power forward, I looked it up between Jaden and Vando. Vando has had some center minutes. I did the math. Jaden McDaniel has more minutes at the four than anybody on the roster. He's a 20-year-old rookie. The person with the most minutes at small forward is a 19-year-old rookie. The person with the most minutes on the team and obviously the most minutes then at shooting guard is Malik Beasley, who has chronically been known as a bad defender. The person who would have the most minutes at point guard if he hadn't gotten hurt recently is D'Angelo Russell. Instead, it's Ricky Rubio, who's having a bad year defensively, as it turns out. But in any case, D'Angelo Russell and Rubio are not a great defensive combo. So what David Vanterpool has had to work with thus far this year is, is incredibly callow youth and career mediocrities on defense. And there are seven teams in the NBA that don't play defense as well as Vanterpool's defense. And thus far this month, he's 15th in the month of February in terms of what he's done with the defense. Gerson Rosas said he amended 
the top 10, top 10, once he got this to say top five on offense and average on defense. Well, 15th is average. So my whole point is David Vanterpool has had shit to work with and has turned it into mediocrity. You know, I mean, that's the kind of thing that if you do it on a broad scale, get you considered to be coach of the year. If you're the head coach, if you take a, 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 uh, 18 and uh, an 18 win team and make them a 36 win team, you know, you've considered to done a great job. So that's why the context of throwing a Vanderpool under the bus made even less sense. Remove some garbage time in their 25th. Okay. This year. Fair enough. And over the last two weeks, 22nd, that's just, I, yeah, I don't right. totally say that to detract from the point, but it is I, the approach I'm taking to a lot of numbers this year is they're screwed up. Right. And, and, and I'm in my analysis going to use them less as proofs this year because and that's fine. But what I will also say is the last two games, you want to put that on Vanderpool? No, no, <laughs> no. I, what, what I want to do is I want to talk about... I mean, 272 points in the last two games. You want to <laughs> talk about that? I, yes, that is what I want to talk okay. about because because I want to talk about this team going forward because, you know what, quite frankly, I don't think David Vantable's long for this organization. Um, you think? <laughs> I mean, so I think a lot of that is um, we hit our stop point in... And I think everything you just said about David Vantable, um is he made he made his enough out of what he was given these last two years. In my opinion, it doesn't exceed expectations, but it didn't go below expectations. And I That's will, and I will argue that his two years in Minnesota has actually hurt his reputation around the league as a coach. Well, that I don't even think that's not that's for sure true. Well, it's got the so, stink. I mean. Uh, so, but again, what, what I want what I want to talk about is that we still this is still your team. The the group of guys you just laid out there are still on the team going forward. This is the roster's construction. Like, yes, you don't have you have cat in place of Nas, but if we talk about the rest of this year, the forty games left in the season, do you want the real it's still gonna be response? Yes. <laughs> I know you don't, but I appreciate you saying it. Um this team has been in limbo all year, and now it's in limbo again. There is no way to judge anything about this team. You don't have your starting backcourt, and you got a coach that basically parachuted in four days ago that is supposed to run the turn from now on. There are so – you could stack the excuses like poker chips and say, well, I'll toss this one out. No Beasley for 12 games. Ah, Delo's been hurt. Delo and Cat, they can't play right now. You know, Jade McDaniel's 20 years old. Anthony Edwards is 19 years old. Chris Finch <laughs> hasn't had a training camp. I mean, here we go. What possibly could you expect? Of course this team is going to suck. You know, that is right. that is the narrative that is so easy to write right now. And... When you have that situation, how do you expect fans to care? Wake me up for the 2021 training camp, you know, to launch the 21-22 season. What I do think something fans will care about is the trade deadline 
Yes. And I think, and I think that is, I, I, that, that's where my head is going with all this is because I'm at, and I'm at the point of looking at this roster and, and seeing, I don't need to see Cat and D'Lo play next to each other to know that a top four of Cat, D'Lo, Malik, and Ant is going to be terrible at defense forever. That can't get fifteenth, honestly. Okay, so let's so let's let's do the fast forward to okay. to twenty twenty one. Let's say let's say that's the roster, and you and I are doing our a pod, our preseason podcast, and we're, we're guessing what they're going to be offensively and defensively. Right. And those are your those are your guys who are going to lead the team in minutes. Cat, D'Lo, Malik, and Ant. What is that team? What do you expect that team to finish defensively that season? Uh, who is the um... Coach? Can we can we make McDaniel McDaniel's a fifth? Sure, you can okay, do whatever you want. Yeah, if they, what, you could. If they, let's let's assume competence. Let's assume coaching competence around that. Okay, McDaniel's, and I think you can sell McDaniel's and Edwards, and Cat and D'Lo, with Beasley as the spinning wheel, you know, on top, and you can say that that team will be an 11th seed in the West. I'm just asking you defense. Give me that. Oh, defense. They rank, <laughs> what do they rank defensively? Uh, I think with a really good coach, if Vanterpool came back and everybody had a training camp and Finch was a, a good coach as well, I think you could probably get to 20th. And that's a problem. And that means you need to approach, because you're now you're optimizing everything and saying, that even then, which I don't think I would, I wouldn't even go twentieth uh-huh. with that. Well, Delo, that, I mean, has to make some kind of. Uh, Delo has to figure out mentally what he wants to do to fix the things that are, all four of them need to. No, all I four of them. I, I can. No, I can. You're wrong. I can. Malik push back needs on to this. figure it out mentally. I, no, I can push back on this. Cat has figured it out. I agree. That's what I was going to say. He's okay. the one. Okay. He's the one you can make an argument for. Okay. There is no way that Ant and Malik are going to have it, quote-unquote, figured out right. defensively for the 2021 season. I agree. And D'Angelo does not have the physical capability to, even if he is does have it figured out, it, that group's going to be terrible at defense. It just is. They're, they're, I, I don't see any possibility that it's good, which leads me back to the trade deadline that they cannot – that cannot be the plan going Which forward. Which of those four do you want to trade? I want to trade Malik Beasley. <laughs> I do. And I know people probably think that's insane. Kicking a man but when he's down. <laughs> no, I, 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 and I, I obviously would, I would have said this before. I know, I'm just that kidding. isn't the suspension. <laughs> I think, and this is actually a praise of Malik Beasley, because right. that's the one you can actually get something out of for those. I, I think you could. You could use Malik if you just wanted to straight liquidate that asset. I mean, you could get easily get a first for Malik Beasley on on that contract if it was to a, a team who had cap space to take on his fourteen million dollar a year. Con- if they just wanted that, you could easily get a first for that. Or you could use you could use it in a sort of stack where you trade Malik, who has this value X value, you know plus. Um, a guy who makes three to eight million dollars, you know, throwing a a layman, a Culver, a Kogi, a, something like that, and now you're up to you could trade that for a good twenty plus million dollar a year player, and 
And I think you absolutely have to not just consider, I think you absolutely have to do it because I don't think there's any way that that those four are going to work. And it's very it's a lot harder to trade any of the other three. It's a harder sell and it's just certainly not Edwards. No, Edwards is I don't think you could trade Edwards right now for a a win now move, right? Like you're not gonna trade Edwards to get a guy that's going to make you better that when we're talking about the deadline, I think Edwards is the next one that you want to talk about a trade next off season, but he is the first overall pick. He's got the cachet. There's a business side to all of this that I think is less D'Angelo. You can't trade because he's untradeable because of his performance versus his salary and his past exactly. history. Right. And then, and then that's cat and cats, your other option, which is a whole Pandora's box there where I think you can make an argument not at the trade deadline, but maybe, I don't know. I mean, the conversation thinking about trading cat is fair in my box. I'm just saying if we're ranking those four guys, Malik, and you say, we, I, you, we need, we look at this and this is untenable going forward, which is my opinion. Then the one of those four guys that I'm trading is Malik Beasley. And, and it would depend on, you know, what you could get back. And hopefully it would be in a move where it's, Malik plus Culver, and you've got you've got a a, a player who's better than Malik Beasley okay. coming back, and is more of a two way player. Uh, I'll play part of it's devil's advocacy, and part of it is my actual belief in the downside of this. Malik Beasley is your floor spacer. I mean, what have you? Oh, what, I, what have you? That got- will, it will. It'll hurt the team to lose Malik. I'm 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 not and, denying. Uh, how do how do you replace that? I I think that's what you're you're hoping to replace that floor spacing in what you trade him for. All right. So in other words, what you want is a better defender who shoots like Malik Beasley for Malik Beasley. Yeah, and maybe it's a little <laughs> little worse of a shooter than Malik. All right. Well, that's why that's why I would be more inclined. Obviously, the the best thing is like if you could trade Malik. And Anthony Edwards for Ben Simmons. I do that in a second. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's probably going to, you know, cost you more than that. But that's that's the direction I'm trying to move. I'm trying to trying to have more talent and have it be talent that also touches the defensive side of the ball. Right. And and I realize that's easier said than and done. I'm but also, that would be I mean, the I, direction. I'm not saying this to chide you. I'm just saying that, of course, Ben Simmons is not an outside shooter. We're not, you know, and you didn't mean it that way, but. No, no, yeah, I, I didn't mean it that way. Right. I just meant it as right. it's it's hard to it's hard to name the the guys, but as you always tell me, it's right. like, you know, who knows what the churn of the league's going to look like exactly. when it when it shakes exactly. up and and particularly this off season. I think this off season, it, you know, it could get interesting. I wish I had made a list of of names and stuff, but that some of that is all arbitrary too, it, right? It's like totally arbitrary. And and what I should say is. If I'm trading Malik Beasley, I would want to be getting one of those guys back. But at the same time, even if not, I think this is what, in ways, is a time to capitalize on what Malik has been, which has offensively been awesome. And and three months ago, Malik Beasley was the consensus around the league, not just fans or whatever, was he was on a bad contract for what he was going to provide, and that has. That is no longer the perception around that. You could liquidate this asset right now. And given the fact that you have an untenable core of four players, in my opinion, I think that's something you would need to consider. 
Yeah. Um, Who would you trade? Do you, well, okay, first, do you, do you feel that they need to break this up? I think they need to um, set the nail on why it won't work. I think the fans are owed a referendum on what Rosas has pushed their way. If they're supposed to believe they all showed up at city center to wave their pom-poms on behalf of D'Angelo Russell. And all of a sudden he's not getting steady time with cat. Then I think that's a problem. I don't think it's going to work. I think it's going to explode in a spectacularly awful fashion. Um, but that's my point. It's not, not cynical at all. <laughs> my point here is I do not have faith in the, the ways Rosas has put stakes in the ground. I don't think the size of the tent and the grandeur of the tent can sustain the weather. I think it is going to fall down and get holy and moldy. You know, it's not going to okay, be. Okay, so so what if that is, if you are Christian Rosas and that is your opinion, I think you have to what do you do? Look, you, you move we, are, the we, are, we are in a circumstance, I think, where you have to give the guy running the show a chance to prove himself right or wrong. I said this about Tibbs when everybody was going crazy about Tibbs. You had to give him a chance to see, and he made it work. People were really pissed off. Even when he made the playoffs, people were angry. Well, it wasn't until Jimmy wanted a trade and he didn't want to trade Jimmy that I finally said, this guy is toast. His vision is toast. Gerson Rosas does not have toast He's not at that level. He's not at the level. Uh, I agree. And, and and are you saying that trading Malik Beasley is toasting it? No, what I am saying is that... Because I think trading for Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez was an asset play. I don't think he actually believes that Malik Beasley is the third best, fourth best player on the next good Timberwolves team. Interesting. Well, again, see, uh, here's the difference between you and me, I think. And my, my friend David Brower is a lot like this as well. You think like a general manager. I think more like a coach. You know, I'm thinking about pieces I already have. You're thinking about how to make pieces that are there. My greater point is it doesn't make sense. It's kind of like draft, mock drafts, you know. I mean, all well and good. Yeah, I'll, I'll take, you know, so-and-so from uh, Alibi and Christian and, you know, We'll see how it rolls. My chances of getting this guy, even if I love him, are minuscule. Who we talk about trading and how they'll be traded for, I think is, I think it's wasted energy. I think I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to do a specific what it would be traded for what my point of bringing this up to you and why i think this conversation is relevant is what i'm what i'm trying to focus on is the fact that i believe your four best players are too lopsided in being offensively focused that you need to pivot off of that and i will bet you i already owe you two lunches by the way 
I would double or nothing. I owe you four lunches and, and wipe the lunch slate clean saying that the four players you mentioned, I say that they will be in the Timberwolves training camp next September or October. They will be on this team moving forward. That if Rosas does anything, he will trade Rubio. He will trade Jake Lehman. He will work what on What does that, does that move the needle? Uh, it might. It might move the needle some. I mean, it depends on what he can come up with, you know. Maybe Finch has some intel. Look, I'm not saying it's ideal. You already heard my cynical take on what the whole thing is going to wind up being. But I think to say, hey, let's move the stakes when there's a big angry dog next to the hammer that you use to pull out the stakes, that's not going to happen. We're not going to be able to get the stakes and move the stakes. We're just going to have to watch and see how he puts in the stakes and what the tent looks like, and we can predict what's going to happen. I think he's going to be able to think about making some deals that he hopes will spin some things on the margins. But um, I don't know. I mean, do I think he's going to trade Malik Beasley? No, I do not. Do I think he's going to trade D'Angelo Russell? No, I do not. Cat. All those what about a, what about next offseason or this offseason? Sorry, this coming this offseason. Um, because that because I wouldn't take your bet if it was if we we're just talking about the trade deadline. One, because that would be really weird. Malik Beasley is literally suspended until the trade deadline. So that would mean if he gets traded at the trade deadline, that, that, that means he will he will have played his last and game. He would get, I'm not he'd get 62 in his first game somewhere else. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not betting that that happens here at the deadline. I'm bringing up the idea that if I were the GM, I would start considering trading Malik Beasley. Yes. That's, that's, I, that's I, all I, I'm saying. And I actually Not- think that those are cool ways of thinking. I don't think that way. I will tell you that, um, do I think that the four guys you mentioned are capable of being molded into a good defense? No, I do not. Do I think that their offense will be such and that some other things may happen creativity-wise where some of their value will be enhanced and you trade them at that time? Um, Beasley, I'll go this far with you. I think you are correct in saying in terms of perceived value to actual value, right now Malik Beasley is the most attractive candidate you are selling high on a guy versus the other three guys. I will concede that. Um, I don't think it's... Let's do the basketball side of it. Okay, okay. Let's do the basketball side okay. of it because... All right, so... I think you need his outside is, shooting. Okay. Is Zach Levine a net positive player? This year, it's a very interesting question. I would Before this year, I would have said no. Um, I think that I have been impressed... With the, I mean, he's now like like 68 percent yeah. true shooting percentage or something ridiculous, which I think does make him a net positive. I, and I'm with you that he was last year not a net positive, and and has always and, played on losing teams as and always been a contributor to losing teams. Um, right. And, so where does Malik Beasley fall on that gradient from last season Zach Levine to this season Zach Levine? Well, first of all, he doesn't have the body of Zach Levine, so even if he wants to play defense. Um, I think that he, he cannot 
guard swing players as interchangeably as, and again, I'm, I'm not saying that Zach Levine has suddenly become a good defender because he has not. He's still pretty indifferent as a defender. I would say he's definitely a net negative on defense, but I think he is less of a net negative because he's maturing. And, you know, he, right. he, he is, I think he's probably, I guess he's only about a year or two older than Beasley now that I think about it. But, um, mm-hmm. but the, but the greater point is that the, the drawback when you're comparing Levine and Beasley is that I think Zach probably has about 25 pounds on him and certainly has more sinew and athleticism than Beasley I, does. I, I, I think the thing you bring up of is Malik not having the body to be a swingman defender and guard multiple positions in that way. I think we knew that before the season, right? Probably. But a good right. idea that that was going to be the case. I'm, what what has made it worse, in my opinion, is the angles he takes and the mentality he brings to it. I don't his his defensive basketball IQ has proven, in my opinion, to be lower than what we thought it was was going to be coming in. I think we knew I, he was going to be a limited defender physically, and I think what has played out in these thirty games is he is also a limited defender in terms of tactics. But I think the light can go on for him. I think he and that's 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 the question here, right? That's uh, the question: is can uh, you get? Yes, I think that. Um, First of all, Vanterpool's philosophy is absolutely perfect for what he does wrong. Solid is enough. The problem with Beasley is he's basically turning everything into liquid. There's no solid in his game. He is flying around, careening, putting him, he's taking himself out of position. He, Which makes him a terrible, terrible fit defensively for this team. As particularly, a, particularly in the context of the four players we're talking I about, would agree. where he's playing alongside Ant, D'Lo, right. and Cat, because then he needs to be defending the ball more right. often. Which the, the the whole system is dependent on the guards needing to navigate screens so as to stay attached to the hip of players. And Malik exactly. is not good okay. at that. All right, but so I'll take the glass half full approach here. If the light goes on and he learns to play the way that his coach has preached all this time. He can have an improvement on defense that will help the team's defense because he starts to play ways. I mean, Beasley burns the team. Um, it used to be, I mean, Cat was one of the easiest people to say, he's burning the team on defense. Where he is, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's taking himself out of position. Well, now um, you could say that about Beasley being too active, which is really fascinating because – He's playing next to Edwards, who is inert. So on the one hand, you've got Beasley jumping around, getting himself out of position. On the other hand, you got Edwards standing there with his head on a swivel, uh, watching people go by. I mean, if only you could somehow combine the lassitude of Edwards with the, you know, sure. uh, ADHD uh, play of, of Beasley, you might have something. Uh, and by the way, that is what you you can identify those are characteristics that if somebody can get through to them you know edwards is you know 19 years old and it's a possibility brit it's a possibility but this comes down to the are we willing to bet on that is it a is it a more or less likely proposition that to focus on malik that he that that light does turn on that's that's the question cuz it's possible i i'll acknowledge right. it it could happen but the reason that I am not going to pet on that is because 
I've watched these 30 games, right. and I've watched not just defensively. I, Malik, at the end of games, the errors right. in tactic, that, like... I get it. That is... That, that 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 makes it so I'm not going to I'm not going to make that bet, and that's what brings me back to the whole idea that he's been awesome offensively, and he would be he would be awesome on a team where the the three guys who are higher than him in the pecking order are better defenders, and that means he's more valuable to another team than he is to this team. It 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 really lines up to me to be a pretty obvious trade. A trade situation. of him could make the Timberwolves look bad again. <laughs> what? It might no, be screwed I regardless. I think I think we nailed that down at the beginning. All right. All right. But but solving when you start to approach solving this seemingly losing proposition right. that is the situation the Tim Wolves are in right now. I mean, you need you need to adjust. And not desperately so. And probably a lot of people listening to this are thinking this is Danes on some desperate adjustment sort of thing. But I think I think it's one of the more conservative meaningful adjustments that this that this team can make because I don't think trading making a Ricky Rubio trade or a Jake Lehman trade as you mentioned those names those those aren't going to be make meaningful differences and because less, what are you going to get less, I mean again this is you know back when I had more faith in Rosas you know and and maybe I've careened too far I mean you asked me this kind of stuff three months ago, I would say, you know, oh, okay, well, imagine what somebody like Rosas in that front office could do dangling a Rubio and a layman or one or the other getting a draft pick. Maybe that draft pick becomes Jade McDaniels or maybe, you know, so on and so forth. Um, I think they try to do that. I, actually I think they think, will try to do that. I think, to be honest with you, the way – and it's the odds are very, very low of this happening. But I think that the way the wolves crawl out of this is to stay the course with things that are very unbalanced in terms of offense and defense. Get a, a guy like Chris Finch who knows what he's doing by all accounts on offense. Obviously sure. an upgrade in terms of X's and O's from Ryan. Um, get D'Lo with something to prove uh, and uh cat playing next to his buddy and Edwards with another season in and Beasley maybe calming down and learning the principles and McDaniels being incredibly enough, the glue guy in this whole shebang, you know, at the age of 20. Well, it's, it's all defensible. And then as that elevates and Fans are not going to look at any move you make right now like betrayal, you know? I mean, oh, you know, the Wolves finally have a good shooter and now you're trading him, you son of a bitch, you know? It's like there will be backlash if you trade any of those four guys because we have been taught as a, you know, the fan base certainly has been taught to invest in those guys, to emotionally invest in those guys because we're building a sustainable winning model. Well, the problem with saying you're building a sustainable winning model and going out and getting new parts every second Thursday is that all of a sudden that model doesn't look like it's very sustainable. Sustainable means you're building something and it's no. and it's got integrity. So so I think 
I know. So I'm, I think I'm what, frustrating. What, your, you want to. No, 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 no. What it's adjusting is the, the pushback would be, to, to me, would be wait until the offseason at least. You're going to see a little bit more of the model right. in that sort of right, way. Right. Um, and, and then, and then you'll, you'll, you'll have a better idea. I, I, I guess that's that. where I'm coming from. Because and, and I'm not and I'm not saying have to trade Malik at the trade deadline. Right. Okay. I'm saying that I think eventually this four needs to be broken up. Well, I think the the D'Lo Cat combination is right. not. You don't make the playoffs with that combination unless you have three other players who are pretty pretty good. Well, and and that and again, yes. Would I do? I, I think Malik Beast is a better player than D'Angelo Russell. So if we're, if we're picking right, right. that, that sort of way, yes. But D'Angelo Russell literally makes more than two times as much money yes. as Malik Beasley does. So that's why. No, I get it. I get it. Yeah. We're, we're operating. But in, that's why you know, we have in, to in be in C mode. We have to basically. Sure. Then we could say, Oh, look, a burned hole. We have to be wait and see. <laughs> we have to be wait and see for the top four guys. I, I I'm hearing you there. We all, I, we, what about, what about the rest of the guys? What about, I mean, the deadline. Yeah. Um, what about Ricky? What about Ricky at the deadline? Ricky is the by far, by far, the most obvious choice to trade because if he's not desperate to get out of here, I've got to wonder what drugs he's on because he is um, first, he is not going to be here after next year no matter what happens. And he's 30 years old now, and he's playing badly, and he can still cling to whether the excuse is valid or not. He's playing in a system and in a role that is totally alien to him and is screwed mm-hmm. up. And you always, when you're with the Timberwolves, have the excuse. Andrew Wiggins has just added at least two years to this excuse that you're playing for the Wolves, and so therefore your value and your standing has been sabotaged. Ricky Rubio has nine years of solid point guard play. Sure. So what do you do? You trade Ricky Rubio for, I think, um, a serviceable young point guard or a young power forward, if you can get it, somebody who's like ninth on the roster. You think that a it's team will accept that trade? I think it's possible. Well, it all depends on... I, so you're viewing Ricky Rubio as a positive asset. I'm, I'm viewing Ricky Rubio as a backup point guard in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I think that there's going to be some team... I haven't looked at all the... I agree with that, I but think that I think he in, can... Indiana Pacers, for example. Let's just say they're sure. the AC in the East. Celtics, something like that, too. Yeah, yeah that's right. They have Jeff Take, take over for Jeff Teague. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean... But but that's the thing that would be is like sweet revenge. I think Ricky could be helpful to a team. Yeah, we also have the contract issue here. Yes, and so exactly. So I I I think it's kind of unfair to assert. Well, go get a, a a young point guard for him. Go. I I don't think I don't think that's possible. I think I think what we're more I think the trading of Ricky Rubio more looks like you're trading him and I mean you're going to laugh at this, but you're trading him for a guy on an expiring contract uh-huh. who makes the same amount of money. Yes. You trade him for James Johnson, right? That's a good James idea. Johnson facts similar. I, I like that no, idea. <laughs> no, I, I, well, I, I mean, and it could I do. be, it could I be somebody. I literally like that idea. I like the idea well, and, of getting James Johnson 
hopefully before the trading deadline so we can turn I'm not even saying James Johnson not, not even specifically James Johnson a player who is making the same amount of money as Ricky but expires at the end of the year I think that makes a lot of sense he is the Timberwolves perfect candidate you know he, he kind of exactly is. That. and that would well that literally can't happen or <laughs> whatever the, the the reason I think that's important and valuable to the Wolves if people are like because I'm talking about a player worse than James Johnson like two contracts, like some guy who's $9 million and shouldn't be in the league and some guy that's $8 million and shouldn't be in the league. Literally dead money. Right. That, I think you can make an argument to make that trade for Ricky Rubio because then you are now off of his money for next season. Exactly. And, and, and that is very valuable if you're the Timberwolves when you're looking at your books. For because any team, that's the point about James Johnson that I was making four months ago. I know, but we've already had like know, four podcasts about We that. won't do it again. My, but my, I did want to say, is, you know, here we are. Yeah, you were right. Okay. You were right. I'm acknowledging that that is not the way I saw that at the beginning, and it is clearly played out terribly. Fair enough. But this is where we're at. This, this is, is how this all comes. Okay. And so what, I, what do you do to get out of where you're at or to adjust exactly. from where you're at? And I agree with you. If for no other reason that Ricky Rubio is a stand-up dude, he's been the best media interview for most of the year. Anthony Edwards, yeah. notwithstanding, I mean Anthony Edwards is is the kind of guy you want to be entertained by. Ricky Rubio is the guy you want to be educated by. Um, and so, I think that he deserves to go someplace and either be unhappy for being underused or continuing to suck and sabotaging that team. But at the very end, that's, the that's very life. Least, when you sign a contract that big, when you sign a contract that big and you don't live up to it, like you get, you get thrown into the trade machine right. cocktail right. and you get spun out until you're out of it. And then you're Jeff Teague and you sign for a minimum somewhere. Right. You know, but at the same that's, time, he did nothing wrong to get dumped from Phoenix, I, which is the team that signed him. I mean, that's the thing. He had, we wound up right. getting traded for Chris Paul, for God's sake. So, But I get what you mean. Your greater point stands, which is that Ricky Rubio will have to make his own way now because boo-hoo, you don't have your role, so on and so forth. You Sometimes you have acted like you have no idea how to play point guard, which is weird. And I'm looking at it straight as an asset. Or and, and straight right. how it how it the attaches GM. to other assets, right. which is which is the fact that the Timberwolves, the Timberwolves, if they retain their own pick, yeah, th- this pick, if they get their forty percent, they're going to be way into the luxury tax without adding anything to the roster. Exactly right. They're they're currently a million bucks away from the luxury tax on next year's bill. Right. So you have to clear money. You have to clear money, or your other option is bring back the exact same group, and that's not going to happen. Well, that's why Sasha and Gooper is is being paid by this team, right? I mean, they are now. Figuring- and that's I'm having a Sasha conversation here. Is right. what right. adjustments are you going to make? You got to get off of money. They do have to get off of money I because you need to change Gupta the team. Uh, has got better solutions than you and I do. Well, I I agree. I'm just trying to <laughs> I'm just know, trying no, to I figure know, out what they are. And and there's weird restrictions made. I, there are options. There's this the, the, the hey, Ricky one is obviously an option. You are by far the best person on the. Wolves media team to try to pretend to be Sasha and Gupta. I'm just saying that I'm out of my league. If you're going to try to talk about 
what can be done salary cap wise to make this team. I can tell you what I think. I, I can tell you. It's not that this isn't that complicated. I think the luxury is. tax I think line. That he will make it that okay. complicated. I, well, he will make it that complicated for the, the sense of our conversation. Okay. It, you need to get off of money, I think, at this trade deadline. That's what I'm trying to say. I would say and, trade and that, Ricky Rubio. I can and, end and, and any further. Yeah. You don't have to add all the caveats. I would agree yep. $17 million. He doesn't want to be here if he has any sense at all. And Ryan is gone, so he's probably his biggest proponent within the organization is gone. It makes total sense. If you need to get money, get rid of Rubio. Would you do this trade? Ricky Rubio and Jarrett Culver for Andre Drummond, and then you wave, and then you buy out Andre Drummond. Hmm. So literally, you yes. just delete the money. Yes, I you would. You delete the money of Rubio and Culver. Yes, I would. See, I think my, my point is, is a lot, there's options like that to be made, but they, and I think you can make an argument that those, that those are valuable, Do you but think you... they spit in the face of, of Gerson's previous moves. They spit in the face of trading for Ricky in the well, first place. They spit to... in the face of, of Culver. I know that's why it's interesting. We're back to square one. I mean, which is this guy promised us rainbows and, uh, you know. We're, Got Ricky. <laughs> well, we're looking. We're looking at something other than the rainbows, and so the deadline's fast is is, is fascinating because I I think it's for, first of all, do you think Andre Drummond has any value at all as a trade chip? In other words, do you have to lose him? Does Cleveland have to lose him? You know, it seems that way. Well, I mean, Houston made its decision on Cousins. And I think that's a comparable situation. Well, but it's also not because Drummond makes 30 and Cousins makes the minimum. Right. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Only the minimum. That, that's the that's that's the thing is you're just. That's it. That, what that's I'm a, suggesting that's a, there. That's a 21 gun tank salute. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that means. That means that Houston is ready for that draft pick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, and I don't know. I don't. I don't think I would do that, the Culver and Rubio thing for Drummond, but I think I, I suggest that as an example of those are the type of thing. That's how you create maximum space for, for this summer. Well, I think what if, if you really want me to get serious about this, <laughs> which kind of gives uh -oh. away my hand that I haven't been, but the uh, I would say that figure out what Cleveland is looking at, what they could get for Drummond's expiring. And if you don't have to include that much talent, yeah. gather up the debris mm -hmm. on your roster and Davis, you know, throw Ed Davis in the mix, throw, uh, you know, make it add up to as much as you can, you know, and I would put Culver in there, maybe put Rubio and Ed Davis because Culver does have some value in terms of being a defensive yeah. stopper. A defensive stopper, man, this team desperately needs something like that. If somebody sure. can uh, has this, you know, we talk about vaccines. If somebody gets this huge needle and fills it full of confidence and, you know, shoves it into his ass, sure. you know, maybe all of a sudden he's a different player. But right. I would argue that to your greater point and your greater question, making maneuverability Moves for future move maneuverability will be important to this team. And by the way, 
may not piss off your fan base as much as if you trade Malik Beasley. I think people are ready to have Ricky Rubio traded. They are not ready yeah. to have Malik Beasley traded. No, the the Malik Beasley, my whole Malik Beasley thing is is a value play. I get it. Is a value play and and kind of more operates in the uh, you know in, in fantasy world a little bit. But I and and because of that, I think an eventual Malik Beasley trade only happens if it is for a player that you you are getting back a player who's better than Malik Beasley. That's t- or makes that's more more sense right, on this team. Right. That is that is a tall order. The what I what when I was talking about Malik Beasley, what I said was considering just liquidating the asset right. of Malik. Right. And and that is because there are politics involved in all this. That's that's a harder sell. How how much is, how much is Dougie Buckets making? What's McDermott's salary? Seven, I think. All right. And then is there anybody else on that team? That is worth. I got a bunch of weird ones like that. That is yeah. worth eight. I mean, can you do Beasley for McDermott and a defender? Jeremy Lamb or something. I don't think. You know, I don't Lamb think is Indiana in, does that. I don't either. But I mean, who knows? <laughs> throw out a pick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Throw I mean, in a pick. Now Beasley and a pick for Lamb and McDermott. They will burn the place. Oh down. no! No, I was talking about Ruby. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> no, I. No, it's. I don't know, and I'm not trying to get in. I mean, we can. We'll, we will. We'll, we'll talk about the trade deadline more specifically when we get there. But that's what I started thinking about last night when the news of, you know, of, of Malik's, you know, suspension comes down. And, you know, I'm not not trying to be the the guy who shits on the best player on the team. But my honest assessment of Malik Beasley, and if I were a GM, it's that I think he looks better than he is. And I think... In a lot of ways, he fits this team really well for all the shooting reasons. But I don't, I don't believe in it. I just don't. I don't believe in it. Uh, big picture, I have. There's then there's a whole layer of you, off the court stuff you, to to factor in there. But you, I think it would be a win if you could trade Malik Beasley in a package where you feel you feel good about getting a positive return. You need more than a. You need a more of a skeleton key guy. You need a guy who does more than one thing right for this team. We can't we argument. can't do where you know for all the uh, eggheadedness of the Rosas regime, their inability to get two-way players is just jaw drop jaw dropping. It's just like name I mean Ricky Rubio who we both agree should probably be the first guy traded, maybe the best two-way player on the team. I mean, think about that for a minute. Maybe McDaniel, although McDaniel, I mean, he's got like a purr of seven four or something, and um, you know, uh, it's yeah. He he's probably the one that that comes to mind for me. Yeah, I mean, but that's I would honestly, I'd probably argue Cat. Yeah, you know, obvious answer actually, if his defense holds. But then again, which his defense is as somebody who's defended his defense this year, been lousy last couple games, right? Yeah, you know, and and you know why? Because he's doing so much on offense, I mm-hmm. guarantee you that he's got a. You know, and this is damning the cat to say this, but I think he's got a a, a a innate calculator in his mind about what he has to do to be really important. Um, mm-hmm. And I think if he's getting eleven dimes in a game, his defense will flag a little bit. And that's understandable. Well, that it's, it's human nature, right? 
it, it's, I mean, the only guys that are able to do that are true superstars, superstars. Yeah, guys and like I think, the, and the cat, people who cats a tier below that. Right. Well, yeah, you know exactly. And <laughs> which and that's which it. might be which might be the argument for a later date about the idea that you're building a team around the idea that he is a superstar. And oh, without a doubt. Not only that, but that he's paired with a genuine star to make a dual punch that is going to take the lead by storm. Right. You know, cue the helicopters, cue the city center <laughs> celebrations, you know, cue the Ryan Saunders firing. I mean, you know, <laughs> let's go down the list, you know. Right. Cue the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so we, 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 <laughs> um let's 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 end it there we're at we're at like 90 minutes um all right obviously you you just you just wrote we got two games this weekend i'm uh the wizards the three boy that's a that, wi- that's a watcher isn't it <laughs> wizards, wizards why am I, what's the saturday one i'm forgetting i think that is the wizards isn't it tomorrow night oh no saturday yeah yeah then sunday is the home game blanking and i don't want to pull it up right now and then the hornets is the last one before the all-star break which my God, I just watched the Hornets last game right before we. Mellow, mellow. They're the same team as the Wolves, and they're just way better. They're just way better. It's the same. Funny how that it's works. The... It it does. It does. I think they're gonna make the playoffs. Ooh, I don't know about that. I was looking at it this morning. I was looking at it this morning, <laughs> and it's like they will have to do it. They'll have to make it like over the Hawks, like the eighth seed, or like. Or the the Raptors or the you know Celtics if the or Hawks something like get that. healthy, the Hawks are a better team than, than the Hornets. They are, but the, I don't know, man. I'm watching a lot of this Hornets team, and they're they're already solid, and they're getting better because Lamelo's getting better by the day. Rozier ha- has played really well. I don't. Rozier is mean, headed for he's peaked. Yeah, he's probably headed you know headed for some regression. Uh, for for the second half of the year, but it's not Washington, a bad team. you know, is okay. Bridges is okay, you know. Malik Monk had twenty two and thirteen minutes. Yeah, in the first that's half full school. I, that is full school. But they got it. They just, I watch them and I think about the Wolves and I watch their their like second half of their rotation guys, like their bench, and it's just it just works so much well, better. <laughs> I I honestly, Borrego, right, Borrego is well, you know. But let me let me since we brought it up. Yep. Capella, Gallinari, you know, mm-hmm. Trey, Hunter, Herder. That's and they've a, been hurt that, a lot this year, too. That is like, a nice team. That's a nice team. I don't see. I got to watch more of them. I don't see I how they get more. up. Kevin Herder is one of those guys. I don't know why I unreasonably like him as much as I like him. I just think he his shot selection is excellent. He hustles on defense. He's got good size. I think he can get better. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I th- I think that as a fifth, I don't think they're as well coached. Yeah, I think that I don't know. I, I mean, think Lloyd Pierce has some Saunders too. Yeah, it could be. I mean, it's hard to say. I think that, and I didn't even mention Collins in that five. You know, I mean, they been awesome. Yeah. Ooh, I mean, they they have some. I, I'm not a Trey Young guy. Um, I think that uh, shocker. <laughs> he's just terrible on defense and. He's, yeah. he's such a he's such a ball hog. I mean, he's when, the kind of the, guy that gets nine assists because no one else has any. When this when the second half of the season just burns into a total we'll talk shit about show. That. We'll talk about it. No, no, I know. We, I, I'm serious. We we do need to like we do need to cut out like 
15, 20 minutes on these to talk about the rest of the NBA. Because... I love it. I mean, I think the NBA is, is you know, present company accepted has never been better to some extent, you know? Yeah, some of these games are tough watches, though. You mean because of, been... because of the threes? The blowouts. Oh, the no, blowouts, the blowouts yeah. man. This year's been weird in, in, in that sort of but I will, we will we'll make it a point to next time talk just bounce around the league a little bit because I don't know I think particularly this like I'll close on this what do you think the record's going to be over this 12 game run without Beasley I haven't looked at the schedule but I'm going to say just off the top of my head three and nine that's what I was going to say too that's my number <laughs> I think it's always a safe bet which would which would <laughs> Winning percentage of two fifty, you you'd be amazed at how often you're right if you said that throughout the course <laughs> of Wolf's history. Oh God, that's depressing. On that note, he's Britt Robson. I'm Dane Moore. You can follow him on Twitter at Britt Robson. I really do think, and I'm not just blowing smoke. I, I think, I think your column was was really was really well put together, and it, it's it's worth a read because it's it covers all of it. It, it covers all of the you know the two years, and you need to. To spot the holes in this process that has been the Rosas era, you really needed to be paying attention. Obviously, you know something something you've done. So I would really recommend everyone, you know, go to read that. And as Britt sold, don't do so with the idea of it being a, an argument of Finch between Vanterpool. I more read it as a as another Rosas column. It was, and I think it's, and, and I and, think that was. And let the me goal. say that I really, as somebody who's been battling my commenters most of the time with what I regard as stupid arguments that didn't read the column um i've been i've appreciated the pushback it's made me think about some of the ways that i frame things either could have been framed a little differently or offers a perspective that um is a legitimate perspective even if i don't agree with that perspective i could see why you came to those conclusions and i that's the kind of conversation that i think is is productive for everybody, certainly for me, um, in terms of I write something, I put it out the best I can in terms of what I think it should be, but that doesn't mean that it's foolproof and the idea that there are some things about it that can be either tweaked or, hey, look at it from this lens. You know, I think those, those are good things to bring up. No, you do, you do consistently engage there. It's always kind of something I've stayed away from in, in my own stuff it's just because i feel like i'll get i'll get into an argument that i don't want to get into but um but yeah do do check out brit's column at the athletic and i'm sure you'll have something again who knows? In the next week or so yep. who knows always who knows well and, i mean now we're, we're, i mean the interest is so high in the team that i'm sure i'll be writing every day <laughs> uh all right i'm dane at dane moore mba thank you for listening and brit and i will be back to chat probably next week until then how I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah Hope you dancing like no